OTB AM, setting you up for the day ahead. Luton is an easy is an easy name to say. This is what was just happening in the studio here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I know people who have flown into Luton. OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. The Football Show on Off The Ball. With Sky, all the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. This is News Talk. I'm prepared to end it I can. Well, do it then. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should it be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh. Now, welcome along. Football show is coming at you, so there is live football continuing here at home. Shamrock Rovers have equalised against St. Pat's at Tallis Stadium. They are 12 matches unbeaten. It is 1-0. And up in Derry, second place Derry are 1-0 up against uh, fourth place Dundalk is where we are in the live football here at home this evening. Meanwhile, King Paris Stadium, all hail Curtis Jones. Uh, Liverpool 2, Leicester 0. Both goals courtesy of Jones. The second one in particular was a bit of a doozy so Liverpool comfortable with the second half just getting underway as we speak this is a position Leicester are very accustomed to in their uh, 19 games last 19 games they have scored first a grand total of once the other 18 games it's been uh, the opposition who've scored first so uh, that is a trend I think we can safely say if they win this evening Liverpool are one point behind Manchester United United of course do have a game in hand but still they're uh, keeping them honest Jurgen Klopp said pre-game we'll have to win all of our games to have any chance of Champions League football that is probably true but uh, the form they're in uh, certainly stranger things let us bring in Mr Pat Nevin good evening good evening Joe how are you doing? yeah very well very well so uh, plenty going on I was just uh, reading a piece yesterday on Leicester, Jonathan Northcroft was charting their downfall from uh, last season. I mean, I, like we we talk about Leicester potentially going down, as a, and, and we talk of 2016. But uh, it, the piece just reminded me last year, Leicester finished eighth, having had two fifth place uh, finishes before that. But they finished eighth, and Brennan Rodgers departed for the summer, saying things like, "Well, we're fifth in goals scored." We're eighth in goals conceded and most of those have been from set pieces. If we tidy those up, then we can really affect the top of the table. And he came back from his summer holidays and was talking about survival and uh, change of expectations. And if the club tell me they can't afford a certain player, I have to accept that. So it's not a decline from 2016 as much as it is from just last year. Yeah, but declines in top-level football clubs do happen very, very quickly. Um, and it's, it's it's no surprise to managers because they can smell it, they can feel it coming. Um, you just need to lose one or two players and then not replace them. Also, one or two players getting older. You have a look at the numbers, the goals that Jamie Vardy scored in comparison to what it was before two or three, four years ago. And that's a gigantic amount of goals that you're missing there already. That's not his fault. Nobody can help being a little bit older than they were. Um, but other, losing players like Fafana, etc., the ones that were, they were driving to get through, it's hard. And Rodgers will have known all along, when you do that and you're at top level in the Premier League, you've got to replace at least like for like. And uh, one or two that have come in haven't done as well. I like to look at Feist when he came in, but it's been a bit up and down. And certainly defensively, they haven't looked good enough. And uh, I'm not blaming it all on him. 
but you do need to keep on regenerating all the time. And it's, it's been shown time and time again how quickly that it can... I mean, some teams just over a period of a number of years go slowly but surely downhill, but it can go off the edge of a cliff, and it goes off the edge of a cliff because you've, you've let the best players go and you've not, you've not invested really wisely. It seems a very, very clear case with Leicester. But let's be fair, I've been punching above their way for a long time anyway, but it looks very concerning for them. Well, it sure does. Now, don't worry, I'm not coming at you specifically here, but I uh, do presume you are accused by all manner of fans of uh, bias in your work. Do you get that? You're biased against us. Is that a, a routine thing in your profession? That's very common. I, I got it at the weekend. Okay. Um, I was at Manchester United game and uh, I didn't think they played particularly well. I thought it was okay, pretty average. Um, 2-0 probably slightly flattered them and I accused of bias after that. Okay. Just telling the truth, I'm afraid. <laughs> yes, well, I guess pundits get that. And that is, uh, unfortunately, uh, one of the downsides of the profession. But spare thought for Martin Tyler, uh, renowned Martin Tyler, who was eating his cornflakes and uh, listening to Talk Sport this morning, Simon Jordan and uh, Jim White doing their thing. Martin Keown was in the guest chair. And uh, this isn't deranged, paranoid fan, Martin Keown. This is invincible, uh, Martin Keown. And he had some things to say about Martin Tyler. Have a listen. The Sky commentary yesterday, how biased is, is, is the commentary team? It's frightening. I, I, as much as they're great... Oh, hang on. And what Martin <laughs> Tyler is a great professional, but he cannot hide that he just... He simply doesn't... It hurts him that Arsenal might win a game of football. Martin Tyler, it hurts Martin Tyler oh, that honestly, Arsenal win a game we of know football. That Neville, we know that Neville's got the problem. He was almost apologising for, um, <laughs> I've lost my mind when I, we should be sending Martinelli off. Uh, no, 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 you know, not at all. You go with your instinct. So there we are. As a poke in the eye to a commentator. I should be more respectful. Martin's a great commentator. But please, Sky, don't put him on the Arsenal games anymore. It's really hard. Listen. <laughs> Gary Neville's bias. But we talked it's about relevant. it. We it's talked about, about it off air before we came it's on about air. About so certain people pushed me to, to say it. I didn't really want to come here with Nobody that. Nobody pushed you to but, say but, it. You but, said it. Martin, you, pos- you, you, you positively lassoed it. me out there to ask me, did I yeah. think Martin Tyler and Gary well, Neville? Well, is he? I think Tell me this. Get the Arsenal fans. They've got to listen to it. There's only 60,000 in the stadium, but most of us, there's millions of us listening at home. Ask them what they think. What, you think he's anti-Arsenal? Yes, I do. Get All right. Let's get it out there. Come on. Ah, uh, it's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's, you don't often get um, Martin railed so... He, well, you actually, footballs, the footballs we used to get them railed very easily. In fact, Kevin Sheedy once got very railed, so Martin just smacked them one um, when, I was playing, when we were playing together at Everton. Um, but it's... The difficulty is, is when you're talking about something, and I was watching that game as well, and some of the tackles early on were a bit... I thought the decisions were weird, right? I grant you they were weird. And uh, certainly think that both of the commentators were thinking, eh? You know, there was one moment Gary Neville said, am I, am I going mad here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I.e., he was confused by the refereeing decisions. Um, it didn't sound to me like an anti-Arsenal bias uh, from then, Having said that, they didn't seem to be hurting greatly that Arsenal were blowing it yet again. But then, you know, end of the season, is it because, you know, it's just the end of the season, it's just another game. They're not as invested in it as they would be with other teams for whatever reason. But bias and wanting one team to win or lose, you can aim at that some of us who have played before, because we played for the teams. 
find it hard to do that with Martin. I know. Yeah, to be honest, it's, very, very hard it's not true. That. It's just not true. And yeah, uh, right. I mean, he's not very excitable, actually. Uh, generally when goals are scored anymore such as his style I'm kind of okay with that style by the way I feel like we see a lot of goals I don't need someone to lose their mind every five seconds which I think some commentators are guilty of but uh, I listen back for the Brighton goals it's not like he's losing the plot delighted that Brighton have scored he's just you know pretty uh, factual about the whole thing I think that's well spotted from you Uh, absolutely I noticed that with Martin's um, commentaries they have changed they have adapted over the the years and certainly the last few years the kind of youngster getting carried away. And it kind of shows a wee bit that when he's toned down a little bit more mm. and not thinking that every single goal is the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of humanity, there are other commentators that have gone the other way. And maybe it accentuates what you think he's doing because you expect this extreme noise from him. But he's, it's not his style now. He's, he's, he's adapt, not adapted it, but he's just you know matured yeah. into a different style and a quieter style. Ah, hands up. I happen to like him a great deal. Uh, I happen to, you know, admire the way he commentates the vast amount of times. Um, but everyone feels it. Have you never felt I've felt it myself. I've done games. I remember one game where I actually had to own up to it. And I was biased. You know, I actually one game, just one. And it was a Hibernian versus Dunfermline game. And I did want Hibernian to win. And I listened back and I thought, Nah, I got that one wrong. Okay. <laughs> Clearly. Not leaning, but just talking about my team that I favour far more and seeing it from their perspective. And it's good now and again to get a little wake-up call to say, look, there's people listening, there's people considering, people hurting. And you need to always take that into consideration to some degree. So um, even though I don't, I agree with you, I don't think Mark Tyler was in any way biased. Um, it's not the worst thing in the world to hear. It's been tough. Martin's had a couple of tough moments. Martin Tyler's a few tough moments this season where bits of commentary that have rebounded back on them that, you know, were definitely undeliberate. Um, and it is, it's such a shame because I, I know I'm I'm no 25-year-old anymore and anytime you make an error or don't get it quite right, you always think, think the same thing. Wait, am, I, am I getting a bit old for this? Am I catching this right? Mm. And of course, you made those errors all your life. It's nothing got to do with that most of the time. Um, but I still think he's up there with the best. Now, I, I don't think he's biased. And by the way, I happen to know what team he supports. Oh, do you? Yep. <laughs> are are we allowed to reveal this or no? No, I'm not. I can't tell you, but okay. I know who he supports. Um, and it's, it's, I don't think it's a team that people would have thought of. Really. Well, everyone says it's Manchester sporting. United. Everyone says Manchester United, you know. Uh, no. Oh, well, there you go. So... Um, <laughs> The weekend that was Arsenal's title challenge officially over, I think we can say now, a potential banana skin at Goodison Park, uh, swatted aside by Man City, followed by 3-0 at the Emirates. On Saturday, it was Leeds 2, Newcastle 2, Villa beat Spurs 2-1, Chelsea with Pochettino arriving in the summer, 2-2 with Forest, Manchester United, as you mentioned, 2-0 winners at home to Wolves, and Southampton consigned to the Championship beaten 2-0 at home to Fulham the bottom three by the way as things uh, stand Forest are three points clear of the relegation zone they've had two wins and one draw in their last four which is a real upturn in form so if you take it that they're looking a touch safer then perhaps it is two of Everton Leeds or Leicester we'll uh, come back to that in due course so Arsenal nil Brighton three Uh, Martin Odegaard summed up the situation Uh, direct quote here it feels like there is no hope 
So I think we can take that as we know we're not winning the league. And Arteta was saying a week ago at St. James's Park, I was standing here feeling proud. And today we have to apologise for the performance in the second half. It was not acceptable. So they've dropped five points in, uh, or dropped, five, or dropped uh, points rather in five of their last seven games. To what extent do you think the uh, manner in which City dealt with potential banana skin did feed into Arsenal mood, energy levels, uh, enthusiasm, etc.? It wouldn't have helped, but I don't think it's the problem. Um, the problem is much sounds longer than that, much deeper than that. And the, when I say problem. I'll have Mark Keown and shouting at me in a minute. Um, but the, it's not really a problem. It's like it's what we've all seen. We've talked about this through the season. I've never thought that Arsenal are going to win the league. It's because the squad doesn't get enough depth. Now, that's not to say they've not got a lot of good players. It's just that they keep on having to go to the same wells all the time, even when players aren't A, fully fit, or B, more importantly, absolutely on strident best form. They've had to keep on going to the same players time and time and time again. Over the campaign these days, you, you can't do that quite the same anymore. And it, it will come home to roost at some point. And it has come home to roost really very noticeably that some players have come off their game quite a bit. Um, I mean, still great players and they'll, they'll be back again next season. But you can't go and hope to get even close to Manchester City next season without... I, I don't think he needs to lose many players. He needs to add two or three. But two or three you know, convincing players that you expect to start every single week. Um, or be pushing very, very close to start every single week. And there's a number of positions they need it on. Um, but to say it was, you know, that Manchester City swatting away Everton, I think the damage was done before then. They've known it for quite some time that when it comes to the end, it's the sprint that they expected Manchester City to put on, they've put on. That we all expected that they put on, they've put on. And the dip that we expected kind of from Arsenal, well, that's happened as well. There's a bit in me that for any Arsenal fan sitting and banging their head against the wall, I'm not in any way anti-Arsenal. I feel sorry for them that they've not had the finances to spend and Arteta hasn't had the finances to spend that Manchester City have. However, having said that, it's still a work in progress, I think. I think he's apologising to fans. I think that's pushing it a bit. They didn't play well. They didn't have any answers. And we could maybe go into Brighton at some point. Yeah. Jeez, oh, they have, they're a team to work out. They're fabulous to watch in a really complicated way. Um, they go up against all normal thinking, how they play. Um, but it seems to work. And if you're a kind of, you know, if destroying the normal thought processes, then it kind of really confuses to people. And it confused Arsenal. But had Arsenal had enough creative players and energy left they could still have been right on the coattails of Manchester City but they're not and yeah. it's for the reasons I've always suspected Yeah that's true and, and fair and uh, West Ham and Southampton points dropped were pretty much unforgivable under the circumstances I think Anfield is also not good from 2-0 up and the Etihad they were both putrid but they were also up against a better side and so that one's a bit more forgivable I mean it, we, it's not mutually exclusive here to say a really great season and yet it has unravelled now if you want to use the phrase they bottled it you can I suppose but it has unravelled lots of people say they bottled it and you can say that if you like but yes it's unravelled near the end um, but I, I do think the manager's not stupid I think he'll understand the reasons for it um, I don't think they should panic I certainly don't think Arsenal fans should panic considering where they had been beforehand to find themselves second place, you know, pushing 
Manchester City a good part of the way. They've got Champions League football, which they don't always get. Um, and they're a team that's or a club that's looking on the up. Um, yeah. that, that's the way they should be. It doesn't feel like that just now. But, you know, when they sit back at the end of the season and look back and then when they consider what they hopefully will bring in and make themselves stronger, that's a, a very, very good way. And I think an honest way to look at it is... We do get caught up in the moment, and it is one of the classic mistakes that you make. I don't think Arsenal, and I don't think any Arsenal fans, real Arsenal fans, are saying, you know, rip it up and start again. They're saying, yeah, OK, we thought we were nearly there. I talk to a lot of Arsenal fans, a lot of Arsenal fans, and not that many of them really believed. You know, all the way through, even when they were just ahead, there was one little period where there was a bit of a gap. Mm. But every Arsenal fan, I still said, and maybe that's just history, because they know, you know, it's been a long time since they've been that close. But none of them, not none of them, very few of them, absolutely believed that they were going to manage to stay the course. So, you know, football fans, you know, are kind of wise in these sort of things. And they, what they do need to see is something special. The problem is, you suspect that, you know, last season Manchester City were good. This season, they probably look a bit better. Next season, they may be better again. Yes, and... In anticipation as well of an improvement at Chelsea, of maybe rejuvenation at Liverpool, of Manchester United, another year under Ten Hag, you would presume being better again. It does feel like opportunity missed when you get 50 points on the board at the halfway stage and you have the lead that they had over City. I mean, they have let it slip and, and it may well turn out to be, we may re- well reflect in five years' time and say, geez, 2023, it turned out, was their best chance to win the league. And so that regret you would think may well uh, flourish. Jamie Carragher was doing um, a piece actually on Monday Night Football just before tonight's game at King Power Stadium and it was just an interesting one. He didn't get into the why of it but he certainly identified a a decline in Arsenal's uh, fortunes at the back. So pre-World Cup they were first in goals conceded and first on a whole bunch of defensive metrics ahead of the pack and then after the World Cup with or without Saliba I hasten to add, this was a problem with or without Saliba. They went from being first uh, defensively on like several different things, like goals conceded, the number of times you concede twice in a game, all these kind of different metrics. They went from first and dropped all the way down to 10th and 12th in a bunch of those areas. And uh, I don't know if there's an obvious reason as to why that happened, but that was that was a big fall off in their um, performance defensively more than anything. The temptation is to, you know, you mentioned Salaby wasn't the only player who was, you know, partly there, partly not there. They had other injuries as well. They had a very settled back four. To give, to give Martin Keown another mention, mm. Arsenal in the good old days, they just, the settled back four never budged, you know, during a game or from game to game to game to game. And it really, it's the one area of a football field you never really want to change if you can keep it exactly the same. But that, had to change. So that's one of the reasons, partial reason. But the other one is, I think people do look at defences and go, right, okay, who are, who are our, our defenders? And it's usually not that. It's usually who's the guys in front of the defenders, you know, or the guy behind the defenders quite often as well. Are they doing the same thing? Are they working the same? Are they killing space? Are they holding the ball? Are they having as much possession in good areas as they were before. Because mm. if you're not, then the opposition have got it and they've got it in your last stars and you're under more pressure yeah, and you will concede more chances and it will be more difficult for you. So the easiest thing in the world is to look at those metrics and say, yeah, that's the reason, that's the cause, or the defenders are the reason or the cause. 
Sometimes it's not that. The, the classic old one of it's, uh, you know, the strikers, the first line of defence. Mm. Well, everybody has to work hard. And you look at the teams that are doing well in the Premier League, the work rate's phenomenal and the closing down is amazing and every part of the game has to be right. Don't try telling Pep Guardiola the, the difference between the defenders and the midfielders and the attackers. It's a unit. Yeah. And he expects every part of the unit to affect every other part of it. And that's what Arsenal seem to be doing in the first half of the season. Second half of the season... It was a bit. It was more bitty, and yeah. you, you could see that you could actually get through them. Whereas beforehand, it, it wasn't. It was a tight unit that you couldn't get through. Jim in County Clare, who's a Man City fan, can I just tell you by the way, if you go on to any of the Man City forums, uh, about seventy-five percent there think that Martin Tyler is biased against us as well. The internet is full of bonkers people. I mean, is there a forum out there that doesn't think Martin Tyler's biased against their team, really? Um, you mentioned Brighton and Deserby. Uh, this increasingly looks like um, just a triumph of coaching. And you, you said they're, they're doing things quite differently to others. Uh, that, that triggers in the mind. Stephen Kenny, the Republic of Ireland manager, was uh, talking, obviously, about Evan Ferguson uh, at a recent uh, press conference. But he's, Kenny's a real football enthusiast and he was raving about Brighton and he was saying things in his press conference like, no one else is doing this. This is a complete, like, this is almost a borderline new system. I, like, I, I got to tell you, this is really revolutionary stuff. I agree. I agree. That's what I was saying before. That's why I was really keen to get back onto it. I want to watch them a lot more. Um, but having watched them against, and, and this was the strange thing, we talked last week, and I, I said the classic line, which you'd expect to get abuse for, I thought Brighton played well against Everton yeah. and get absolutely thumped. <laughs> was five goals. And I'm like, actually, no, you played well. And I bet any money the manager went in afterwards and went, and went that's fine. That's happened. Don't worry. Do the same next week. Just play the same way. You, you've got, you're creating plenty of chances. You could have scored five or six. You know, Everton on the occasion scored with every opportunity they had and they broke brilliantly and we'll, we'll probably not do that game for another five years in that way. You just have weird games and you don't lose it now and again. Watching them against Arsenal, I think it was a bit of a masterclass of what they're good at. Against a team where it suits to do that, to be fair, you know, they, they tried to close them down. But, you know, the, the various things about the system and the way they, excuse me, the way they play is one thing, right? But you must have seen it and every fan must have seen it. They're playing out for the back from stupid areas. Mm. Now, let's be fair. They're just ridiculous. Every coach in man in the world will say, don't try that pass. They always try that pass. <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense because in time gone by, you, you do that against good pressing teams, you lose. You get done. They turn you over and they score. For some reason, the ability they have, they're able to, uh, not only to play out for the back, I and mean, they lose it sometimes, but they, they cover quite well, but the, not only the ability to play out for the back, but every single player who receives it in the midfield has got such phenomenal confidence with players around them. I mean, I, I used to talk a lot about this. Jorginho was one of the best, at his best at doing that. It's harder for him now. He's not he's, he's quick with his mind now. He's still a good player, but he's not as quick. But they're getting players in that do exactly that. That all, every one of them seems comfortable doing it, and it's, and then of course you add the, the skills that they've got up front. But that that way of playing for a team, if you do that and you close them down four or five, you close them down six, of you, like Arsenal tried to do a couple of times, and then you've got the goal to pass through you doing that, and then you're in the wide open spaces. You're now totally confused. That's what I meant by Arsenal. They're thinking. What the hell do we do now? Mm. We've just done exactly what we should do. 
in those circumstances, they shouldn't try to do what they tried to do, but they did it, and they got away with it, and they broke on us. It, it just messes with players' minds because you've been training all week and you've got this system and you've got this method and you play against lots of teams and it works doing that and then you do it against Brighton and it doesn't work and you go, what? <laughs> what do we do? Yeah. So you're completely, the whole thing gets fractured when that happens. Yes. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's fantastic to watch and I, I must be honest with you, I keep on thinking, nah, it's not going to work this time. <laughs> it keeps on working mm. and when they can beat five next time, it doesn't matter they'll keep doing it and I love it for it they have uh, well one of several I'm presuming but certainly one pattern that Kenny referenced and and from memory the gist of it was that they will play the ball out beautifully as you uh, allude to there under all sorts of pressure and uh, midfielders say it's a a two midfield uh, pivot in front of defence will work the ball to striker or strikers who will come deep and actually it will be the wide men who will run in behind and they'll be fed through. And again, this is not the normal uh, way of doing things. That was one pattern uh, he touched on. Do you know, li- listening to you, it's so interesting. So for De Zerbe, it's a triumph of uh, coaching. And I guess Pem- Pep being the great exemplar and, and Klopp to an extent. We feel now like we are in such an era where coaches are just having more and more and more of an effect on what's happening and it is because of the technicians that you mentioned like Brighton uh, in yesteryear Brighton do not have great technicians Uh, so we've got brilliant technicians you've got perfect pitches so there is a predictability to all these patterns of play and so coaches just seem to be engineering so much more than like you know lads run the channels and and, you know getting the end of the big man's flicks which are vague patterns but like these patterns seem to be so precise now and preordained some of them some of them are not all of them are. It's again, it, it, a lot of it does come back to versions of things that have gone before. Sure, it, it really does, and it is some of it is Barcelona how they did it in some certain ways, you know, and, and they will always play from the back, and they will always have great technicians in the midfield. They've not completely reinvented the wheel here, but they're doing it in a league where it's hard to do it. They're doing it as a team that are not full of what looks like world-class players. So that that's the other thing. You can do it when you've got world-class players on the ball all over the place that we all think and know are the best in the business. But you're doing it with players that are not seen to be that. I mean, Lee Billy Gilmore walks in having played very few games with them, and it's perfect for it. He's, he's absolutely perfect for it. He's as good as anybody at doing that system. It's funny, a lot of people in Scotland were really worried because he wasn't getting many games mm. something. But he's perfect for them. Well, he's getting his games now and he will get plenty of games for them. But they've got lots more just like it. And the other thing is, of course, I'm going to be completely biased now. What you're doing is manipulate situations when you do attack. You get those wide players one-on-one. And to be fair, I'll, I'll promise to stop talking about Matoma after a while. But, you know, it, it just goes by people. It's brilliant. There's so few that do it to that scale. I mean, you compare that to... You know some of the ones that put, you know uh, like um, Anthony up at United, and he just never goes by anyone; just goes inside all the time. You think, yeah, thanks, that's easy. Whereas you look at the likes of Matoma, there's very few. Eze like it as well. I do go on about him as well. Now, obviously, I'm biased. Let's go back on to the bias. I like those types of players, but I'll tell you what, they ain't half effective in the modern game. Mm. If you take somebody out of the play, and they are so systemised that they know exactly where they should be. The whole thing's messed up, and that's 
one another one of the reasons. There's never one reason, but that's another one of the reasons why they see when their good players are playing well in a very old-fashioned way. They get the ball to them in good areas and <laughs> destroy you. Yeah, happy to watch. Trent Alexander-Arnold's just scored a free kick for Liverpool. He went across goal, far corner, top right corner from an Henri type uh, position. Slides towards the corner flag and does a shrug of the shoulders as if to say, "I really am just that good." Um, so that's Liverpool. Well, that's that, that's that's going to be seven wins in a row. Yeah, I know. And the, the um, two draws as well, so they could win everyone. They could. I got to go to a break. Uh, just in a sentence, because I, I wasn't going to talk to you about United too much. But seeing as you were at the game, uh, we touched on this a few weeks ago. Did <laughs> and I, saw, I saw the highlights, and I know what my opinion is. Did Anthony do anything to dissuade you of the sense that he is uh, massively overrated and they've massively overpaid for this guy? Uh, uh, clearly not. <laughs> no, it's, it's not no, good. I know he scored, but to be fair, he just does the same thing all the time. Yeah. And, you know, it's. Mm, I think Ganacho will be a far better player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eighteen, a bit scary. I will. Might talk, talk to you about him in a moment. Then, if we can, football on off the ball. Brought to you by Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. Back with Pat Nevin in just a moment. Football on Off The Ball With Sky All the football you love in one place Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports This is News Talk You're very welcome back So League of Ireland this evening Derry City are 3-0 up against Dundalk At the Ryan McBride Brandywell Stadium And Rich Towell has just scored for Shamrock Rovers So they are looking to go 13 unbeaten At home to St Pat's this evening So they are 2-1 up there are five minutes to go in the Derry game, 66 minutes on the clock between Rovers and uh, Pats. And meanwhile, at the King Power Stadium, not a good night for Leicester in front of their home fans. 3-0 down to Liverpool. Pat Nevin is with us as ever on a Monday. Uh, you mentioned um, Arsenal will be on the lookout for players. I suspect uh, most clubs will. Declan Rice, uh, the word seems to be this is the summer he will go. If you're Declan Rice and Man City is off the table because, frankly, they just have too many players. Uh, where would you go? Um, the way it's looking just now, massive temptation, just with all you know, because you don't know everything. I mean, if you see Manchester United can tell them they're getting three, four, five others, then you might think, yeah, that's the one. I think he, he looks a stick on for, for Liverpool. He looks a perfect fit for Liverpool. I think he would sit there. His style of play would sit there. He would add that energy that is beginning to fade away from that team, so he'd be suited there. And um, you know, the likes of obviously Chelsea are going to be trying there. They always <laughs> they try for everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's a hard call for Chelsea for him to go to Chelsea just now where they are at the moment. Whereas a little while, especially if he's Mason Mount, is not certainly staying. Um, so I. I, I don't know about that one. I think that looks, in position, particularly the position they're in, and the confusions around that club just now, I think they'll fall back in his thinking. But you just never know. He'll need to know what's been offered and what's been offered around him. Um, but the temptation, if I wasn't a supporter of anyone and I yeah. was him at the moment, I'd be very close to Liverpool. Oh, more Pat Nevin. Bias. Bias. <laughs> <laughs> Former Evertonian Chelsea goes for <laughs> Liverpool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, I, I, there's no logic behind it. I just say bias, and you have to prove it's not. It's impossible. Um, <laughs> my bias. I'm just annoyed with Chelsea because I tell you a wee story, right? Yeah. It's not just listening. It's just me and you, Joe. Right? Okay. So I write a column for Chelsea website every Tuesday for every Tuesday, and I was coming down a train today to 
do this job I'm doing tonight in the dead court of all places. And uh, as I've been doing, I wrote the article about, you know, the new manager, Pochettino. Yeah. And when I got down, I realised they haven't announced it yet. So I had to rewrite and do uh, another article. <laughs> something else completely. Because <laughs> you're not allowed to mention his name on the website oh, yet. Because it's right? not officially happened. <laughs> okay. So, well done. Yeah, here. Um, where, and a scene as well, I asked about Rice. What about Harry Kane? So the talk is United. In terms of style of play and where he would seamlessly fit into a club, because that's important, someone his age, you know, he doesn't have years to waste. Um, and Spurs were beaten again at the weekend, like it's just a bad joke really increasingly. Where where would Kane go? Is, is United the logical fit? It always seems to be, doesn't it? It always looks like it. You know, him and Rashford, because Rashford's got good intelligent movement as well. So you could actually start doing really different things there if you had Kane and Rashford, along with, as we say, Ganacho looks like he could be very good as well. If you can start getting the best out of uh, Jaden Sancho, Bruno's a, a player who loves intelligent runs in front of him and can work off players, um, an intelligent player as well. It, that looks a, a very, very obvious one if if Harry wants that one, but he's wanted that one before and it didn't happen. Um, I, I have heard one or two other players from other teams, but you know, what's his other options? You know, move from Spurs to Chelsea or Spurs to Arsenal. I think not. Yeah. I just think yeah. it's unlikely. Um, so I still think if, if it's going to happen at all, it's, it's probably going to be Manchester United. Um, okay. and we'll see if it does. And I've said it before when he had the chance to go, or he didn't, he thought he had the chance to go before. United was the right time then. It's probably a wee bit past the right time now. Um, but he's, he would still go and he would still have a great effect on them. Thankfully, you can mention Pochettino here. So, yeah, oh, yes, yes. Uh, it, it would seem he's going to be the third uh, permanent manager to work under the Todd Bowley Clear Lake Capital uh, ownership uh, fiasco. I can say fiasco, you can't. Um, Chelsea have spoken to Luis Enrique and to Julian Nagelsmann, and they have plumbed in the end for Pochettino. And interestingly, there have been extensive talks between Pochettino and those at Stamford Bridge. I suspect that. Those talks are not about his salary. That stuff will all be uh, fairly solvable pretty quickly. I would presume Pochettino is trying to find out what's going on at this place. You know, you've cleared house, some fairly volatile decisions. What do I have control over? Starting with the dressing room door, for instance. Is, is that your read on why these talks are ongoing? And, and, and what is your sense of um, Pochettino as the choice? From his side, from Pochettino's side, yes, that must be that. If you look at what he's had in the past, uh, everyone talks about the fact, and they always, it's becoming a cliche now already, that he's good at managing up as well as managing down. Uh, that was a very tough thing to do. You know, obviously, with Levy, he had that, you know, that, that's not always an easiest one. But then the hardest one was PSG, having to deal with managing up to, you know, the owners and the director of football, etc. you've got over there. I was going to say, managing down to the players but can you really say that about yeah. Neymar and Messi yeah. and ne- managing you're managing up to Neymar I think exactly so you're doing that so you've got this weird thing and he's always when you look back to you know even Southampton times he clearly seems like a guy who really enjoys nurturing players you know I think it's something that he would be really into so he must have had a look at the the players that they've got the young players the, the attitude which clearly Bully and clearly I've got of 
look, let's develop something, let's try and develop something long term. Um, it didn't, they feel work with Potter. They didn't give him a hell of a lot of time, but it, they feel it didn't work with him. But that's what they want to do. And if you have a look around that that group, it's very, very, or a lot of very, very young players. You begin to see little snippets from Madueke, you know, Mudrik, I think. Everyone seems to agree he was a good player. Everybody wanted him before he went to Chelsea. It's not happened this season. And you look around and there are some good young players and there must be a serious temptation for him to think, hey, if I'm old, then I could have them for a long time and they might be special. But he's got to be given, you know, complete carte blanche to do what he wants. He can't be told, oh, you have to play this player because we paid X amount of pounds for him or he's on a big salary. He has to be left alone. Or and he's, or he's on um, an eight-year or seven-year contract. That's slightly tricky thing for ownership and Poch to figure out if he doesn't fancy X or Y and they've got a six or seven year contract because uh, Todd Bowley and friends thought that was a great idea then I, I don't know how that's resolved no, I don't know how many of them will be are, massive yeah. concerns for him I think the ones that he will be more concerned about are if does he fancy Sterling does he fancy you know Havertz does he fancy ZH does he fancy Pulisic they'll be the more difficult ones because Moving them on and getting the right price, you know, they're not they're not picking up buttons every week. That may be complicated, but he'll want the ones that he wants kept and they want the ones he wants moved. And that will be probably quite expensive to do and makes you know, bring up front losses and doing those sort of ones. I think they'll be the more considered or considerable ones for him. There's the other side of it, which is the looking down from Clearly, Kimbali, and you know, he's. I suspect he'll take a little step further back uh, come next season. Um, because I, it's been I, I hope not. I hope not. I oh, know, but it's, it's, hot, it's too hot. Out <laughs> no, there. It sure I've is. There. I've watched owners, they don't like it. Um, so they'll step back into the shadows just a little bit. But if you look at what they really wanted, and the one they really wanted to back, it was Graham Potter. And you look at his personality and how he, he deals with people, and it's like working with a friend. Yeah. Well, Pochettino's perfect. It's exactly what you want. You have to I always say back to people, because I've been in that position before, I've been the man who chooses a manager. There comes a point where you think, oh, I have to work with these guys every week. I don't want to get my head burst with them every single week. I want a very good manager, but someone who I can work with and he'll get the best out of me and I'll get the best out of him and we'll get the best out of the club. Um, and especially if, you know, if it's not working just now, it's more special when you've had somebody who's, you know, argumentative. I mean, after a, a Jose Mourinho, you know, and, and the likes, and a, or a Conte, you got to try and get somebody that's nice to work with, man. Yeah. You really got to get your head Sure. And Chelsea, it seems, did have talks with Luis Enrique, and they did have talks with Nagelsmann, and, and presumably one or two others were sounded out. You weren't in in those conversations, obviously, but who would your choice have been? Stuff. I'd need to talk to him. It really is. I've, 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 as I say, I've been in this situation mm. before. And you walk in, you've got three or four options, and you've got one in your mind. And you walk out three days later after talking to them all, and it's completely different because you spent time with them. You see their personalities. You, th- you, you find out if they sound as if they're completely invested, or is this just a short term thing for two or three years? Well, they want to try something. Mm. You want somebody to build into your ethos. You want somebody who's absolutely part of it. So somebody that's fancies living in London, likes London, you know, is is good to deal with, uh, sees what you've tried to do in the past and thinks, right, okay, I can get it right for you. 
that will beat the bigger names. Mm. So, yeah, the names are fine. They're, they're okay. Uh, it would have been a temptation for me from the outside to look at Enrique as being a real temptation and maybe go for it. But if push came to shove in the end, I'd probably went for Poch. Mm. Well, we'll watch with interest. Uh, we should mention in Leeds 2, Newcastle 2, which was a, a good game, actually. I don't know if you caught it, but it was very lively and it was good. Um, Eddie Howe was accosted by fan who has been on the receiving end subsequently of a lifetime ban and I think the police were involved as well so I guess that's deterrent enough there's not much to say beyond condemnation and you don't want to see it in some respects I'm always quite surprised given how accessible a football pitch is I mean we see strikers get on all the time and there are and I'm not talking about this gentleman I hasten to add but there are a fair share of lunatics around I'm always kind of amazed that it doesn't happen more often I, I see your point completely. I mean, having lived through all the different versions of it from, you know, being completely open to people being caged to what happened in Hillsborough to let's get this back to normality again to massive stewarding. There's a million different ways it's gone, but it, it seems, you know, we're in a situation where there's very few. They had that wee period a season or two ago where people were just coming on the, the pitch all the time at the end of seasons, and there was a few incidents then, uh, and that was. But that seems to have kind of died down. That seemed to be a little fashion for a little while. Yeah. But as a as a player or as a coach, it's uh, yeah, it's concerning. Uh, but it, it, you're right. It's very very rare. It's amazing how rare it is that that sort of things happen, considering how mad some people can get at football games. So, you know, in, in a way, it's the oddest thing to say, but the fact that it happens and we're shocked by it is probably quite a good thing because yeah. it is that weird and unusual. I guess um, you've been in football stadiums how many decades of your life now, in one form or another? Was it 15 years you know, God, four and a half, four and a bit decades, maybe. Yeah, okay. So you've sort of seen it all, experienced it all, been stuck out in the wing for some fairly uh, testy portions of <laughs> of your time, and now you're there as a pundit quite often. How would you characterise current behaviour in general at uh, football stadiums in comparison to those 30, 40 plus years? <laughs> the past is a different country. We yeah. can't compare it. I mean, the stuff that I used to get go down the wing, it was unbelievable. Uh, but I laughed at it. I thought it was hilarious. Mm. I mean, sure I've told you a story before, running up the wing. I mean, it used to get dogs abused down at West Ham. I always used to blow them kisses, you know, which annoyed the hell out of some of them even more. But that one, t- one time playing against Hearts, and it was uh, run up the wing. Hey, Nevin, you're too old. Ignore them. Next one, Nevin, you're, you're getting baldy. Ignore them. Nevin, you're crap. Ignore them. Last time I went up, Nevin, your book's rubbish. I know, I know, you've gone too far, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Turned around up the dig at him, and I said to him, do you know what? You must have bought it. He said, no, no, I got it at a library. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, there is a the corollary to that, um, Basically, I was down playing at Celtic. This was a book I wrote years ago, and as it was a few weeks later, and as I was running down, a Celtic fan shouted on for the jungle as it was then. Hey, Nevin, your book lacks literary merit. <laughs> that stuck with you. Quality abuse. No, no, there was much, much worse, and it was, and there was a lot of racist stuff and all that stuff. So, yeah. look, it's a lot better than it was. It was 
violence on the, st- on sure. the stands. There was horses on the pitches. I've been through all that. We're a million times better than we were, but we don't give up trying to improve. And has there been... Um is like such a kind of cliche thing to say or a question to ask almost. Have you detected any kind of deterioration post-COVID, you know, people's latent frustration being borne out post the pandemic or, or pretty much no obvious difference? It seemed difference? that for a wee while. It seemed that for a wee while, yeah. but it depends where you go. It really depends where you go. The game seems very... You know, I was, I was, so I was in Milan on Wednesday for Inter versus AC, right? Yeah. And yeah. amazing. Just, oh, just wall of noise. It's just, I was a absolute privilege to be there and the, the pictures and that I mean so much so that I even tweeted about it and I'm not the greatest tweeter in the world and showed pictures of what I was seeing and it's amazing um, and then I went to see I went to the Manchester United game and um, it looked like um, a tourist outing mm. it felt like a tourist outing now before my United fans start having a go is Chelsea can feel like that you know there's, there's a lot of people in those stadiums that aren't necessarily, you know, died in the wheel completely and utter fans oh, well, of the team. Old Trafford is a, an absolute destination point for day trippers. It's completely. And do you know what? If, if that's the way you want to do it, that's the way you want to do it. Or that's the way it works, the way it works. But it was unbelievably noticeable. And while I was doing the commentary, the co-coms, the, the opposition, opposition fans were shouting, the Wills fans were, were singing well, I've not used the exact words, what a very poor home support they were yeah, saying, but yeah. not to those words. But they were out shouting like the United fans for the vast majority of the game. Um, and it's not a big United fan. There are huge numbers of great United fans absolutely everywhere around this country, these islands in the world. But, you know, it's... It's, there's a number of places where you, you, you know, talk Old, Old Trafford's very snoozy I mean uh, yeah. and if they want to get in their high horse look no further than Roy Keane 20 years ago talking about the Prawn Sandwich Brigade I mean it, it really does have that aspect Old Trafford yeah. and I think you have to be careful because I thought that Arsenal could go down that way but Arsenal's not been like that this season Arsenal's been absolutely brilliant this season mm. every time I've went to the Arsenal ground it's been phenomenal and they've really got behind their team to be fair, there weren't that many of them left in the last five minutes at the weekend there, but look, they've been they've been great. So yeah, and there's, there's enough. Gonna, yeah, no, I take the point. Arsenal definitely rejuvenated by what's happening on the pitch. It's quite an affluent area, and tickets aren't cheap. No more so than Old Trafford. I, I did wonder in recent years if the younger fan in their twenties, louder, more. Uh, alive and kicking, was perhaps going to be priced out of games, and therefore we would see a decline in. But look, there is a, look, there's a big story happening here. A, a lot of the clubs know that if you've got a season ticket holder, he's going to pay X amount for that seat for the whole season. Mm. If you can sell that to that same seat to a different tourist every week, you will probably multiply the income by five or ten times. So it's, it's economics. Yeah, uh, It's a shame, though, because it negative, negatively affects the atmosphere in quite a lot of the games. And that's... If you're, if you're asking me what it feels like going around the grounds, well, uh, I'm going to Forest um, at the weekend here for the Arsenal game. I'm looking forward to that because that'll be great. Mm. Um, and I'm certainly going to Leeds every time. I love going to Leeds because it's absolutely fantastic every time. Newcastle, never less than brilliant. Um, but it's not the same everywhere. Mm. Yeah, some clubs may be victims of their own success. We are out of time. Thank you so much. 
pleasure. Cheers. Speak to you next week. Yeah, thanks so much. Pat and Evan with us live on the line, as ever, on a Monday. And our football show coverage is brought to you by Sky All the Football You Love in One Place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports.